This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to today's podcast with three or four gold bars, depending on how you look at these amazing guests. Great conversations. Here we go with Graham Norton, Chris and Rosie Ramsey. So there's two for one and Ronnie O'Sullivan. Enjoy, my friends. Give us the biggest of all intros, please, if you don't mind, Vassos, for the man of the moment. Whether he's on Virgin Radio or the telly, our next guest never gets nul point. He's back on BBC One this Saturday night to Graham's Guide Us Through Eurovision live from Liverpool. It lasts four hours, but you wouldn't want it to shorten when it's Graham Norton. (laughs) (laughs) Morning, Graham. I wondered where we were going there. I I Uh, wonder that every morning. Yes. Shorten Norton. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Graeme, so much to talk about. Uh, first of all, the first semi-final, Ireland were knocked out. We had actual money on Ireland because we thought their song was amazing. Were you as shocked as we were? I really was. I felt so bad for those boys. I think one of the problems was that that was such a strong semi-final. Because they do a draw for who's going to be in which one. And so all the big songs were in that semi-final. So uh, I, th- I think that played against it. And also, there's an odd thing, because in this country, we've had Take That the whole time. Mm-hmm. We still really like that kind of anthemic pop and that sort of song. And I wonder if it played as well across the rest of Europe. Interesting. So are you saying that tonight's semi-final is going to be rubbish? No. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were. I was just being pesky. I mean, there are, there are some moments where you might nip to the loo. Um, <laughs> like, I watched the dress rehearsal last night in the stadium and, and once one act started and I thought, oh, if I was at a concert, this is when I'd go get a drink. And yeah. as, I, as I thought that, the, the stadium emptied as people were going really? to Really? Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, see, if you, see if you can spot it. Okay. It's so fun, though. Isn't it? I mean, I don't know why, but I think we're all more excited about Eurovision than we've ever been. It is the biggest pan-European light entertainment TV spectacle of all time now. It's fair to say that because it's true. Um, yeah. the, the, you have a team of hosts. Uh, Hannah Waddingham is absolutely smashing it. She, is, she seems to have become Eurovision now. No, she really, she, honestly, I feel so bad because I was watching it last night. The three of them are on stage presenting and I'm thinking, why am I going to be there on Saturday? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the vegetables. You know, when you have a dinner yes. and, and vegetables arrive that nobody ordered. Yes. That's me. That'll be me <laughs> on Saturday night. Which, veg- we, we, which vegetable might that be, do you think, Graham? 
Well, I think there's something really unwanted, like, you know, celery in a sauce. Yeah, or tacadal. <laughs> we always order tacadal. Nobody ever touches it. I have no idea why. No, but see, what, a, what a fantastic lineup of hosts. She is, she's sort of, she's inhabiting Eurovision. Obviously, she's a big fan. She's a fantastic singer, Hannah Waddingham. She is. And actually, I think that note you heard in that first semi-final, well, that's it. She's not going to sing again, I don't think. Uh, I assume she'd be, you know, bursting the song the whole time. Well, I think but, we uh, have this great. And Alicia's rap, if people didn't see that first semi-final, Alicia's rap, I loved it. Uh... Yeah, we have it here. We will play, but I'd just, just rather talk to you live for a bit. We'll play it in, in okay. a moment or two. Um, Hannah Waddingham, potential future entrant. Who knows? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Now she knows. Now she knows what's going on. Having said that, Mae Muller did her dress rehearsal last night. Yes. And I think the UK are going to be very impressed. The staging, like when you think about some of the stuff that, you know, the UK have done in the past, the staging for this is phenomenal. All <laughs> these screens and visuals and, da, 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 and dance. It's really, really good. Is it the so, Mutts Nuts? Uh, so yeah, fingers crossed for her. <laughs> is, it, is it the cows kahunas? Is it all oh, that? It is. It's definitely that. Yes. Right, yes. Perfect. <laughs> but the, I mean, you've done the biggest shiny floor shows imaginable. Obviously, you commentated on Eurovision a lot. Um, you are hosting. You'll be on the biggest of all shiny floors. The production. They they are so extravagant and they're they're so extreme and and huge and magnificent. I don't know how they do it. Is it is it one team that just waits the whole year to be the Eurovision team? This is a BBC team that are, wow. that are putting this whole show together. Well, and off. you know, you know that thing where you're kind of thinking, oh, what, you know, because everyone said, oh, wouldn't it be great for us to be in the UK? And then finally it was. And you're like, ooh, what's it going to be like? Yes. <laughs> so it's been amazing. It's actually, I think, one of the best Eurovisions I've ever been at. It's so well organized. Right. I mean, you know, all those things that people kind of slightly sneer at the BBC for, wow, they are really doing this well. Well, the BBC uh, are on a roll. I mean, they've had a good few days of it. You know, obviously the Coronation and then the Windsor Castle concert and then Eurovision this week. Unfortunately, they've blown their budget for the whole year. But that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, I won't be back in the autumn. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Chris and Rosie Ramsey are on in a bit. And yes. they, they are sort of not filling in for you, but the same slotting as you whilst you're not there on the beep. Any, 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 so not, not tips. They don't need tips. They don't need advice, but any sort of, um, any thoughts, any parallel thoughts to go with them becoming the new Friday night BBC one, 1040 incumbents. I mean, I just think people love them and, and rightly so they are so lovable. So I think they'll do really well. And that's a very fun show because it's a, it, it kind of it reminds me of things like our old Channel 4 show where we would like get guests, but then we actually we'd play games and yeah. do all the... So they do all that sort of stuff. I think it's kind of perfect Friday night telly. All right, I can't wait to talk to them. Uh, it's great to talk to you, by the way. What is the vibe like up in Liverpool? Uh, it's... I mean, really, really, really good. I got off the train. Like, I was up here on Friday, and it was like, you know, it was all fine. And then I got off the train on Tuesday, and people were already... All dressed in their Eurovision yeah. final, they had the Verka hats on, they had the, the flag capes and things. 
Mitchell, it's Tuesday. <laughs> what state? <laughs> what state are you going to be in by Saturday? Um, yeah, so that it really like Liverpool is en fête, as one might say. En fête, nice, nice bit of class to the breakfast show for once. And um, if we win, of course, we get to host it again. You know, <laughs> double-edged sword, of yeah, course. Chris. Yeah, <laughs> a tent in your garden, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about outfits. You're going to be centre stage, and so we're going to see you as well as hear you. I know you're commentating and you're hosting on stage, and you're going to sort of nip up and down. Uh, so you're going to have the busiest of all nights. Tell us about the, your your outfit because it is a big deal. What are you? What? Are, who? Who? What? How much are you going to be wearing on Saturday? Oh, how much? Well, tonight, there's a semi-final tonight. I'm in a semi-final tonight. I'm doing a little cameo with uh, Timur, the Ukrainian uh, uh, commentator. And tonight I'm wearing a very sparkly gold jacket nice. by uh, a Ukrainian company, nice. Ukrainian designers, uh, with all kinds of traditional Ukrainian things done into it. And then on the night, I've got a big, sparkly uh, Alexander McQueen thing. Beautiful. Uh, I'm swanning around in. Beautiful. And Mel Gedroich, when you're not in your commentary box, she's going to take over for a bit. Um, any any advice for her? Well, she's got the nice bit, actually, because I'm, I'm doing the songs, the 26 songs. Right. And then she's taking over, so she'll get the voting, which is oh. actually the bit that I enjoy co- commentating on most. But me and Hannah, we're, to, we're standing beside the podium and going, and now off to Zagreb. Um, so... I can't tell you how complicated it is. <laughs> Why they've given it to the two of us, I don't know. Oh my god, I can't uh, wait, Graham. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Well, well what, what is a, what is kind of you do get a thrill even doing the rehearsal is when you get to and the winner is. Yes. You're going, wow, we are actually going to be announcing that on Saturday night. Do you feel like I do? It's not just because it's here, is it? It's not just because of Sam Ryder in Ukraine last year. Do you get the sense that because a lot of other things are falling by the wayside because they're being found out or they just can't hold a light to like global uh, platforms now like Netflix and, and Apple and Paramount, do you get the sense that, that as other things are sort of dying off, Eurovision is going from strength to strength or is that just wishful thinking on my part? I don't know, Chris. I mean, you might be right. Certainly the love for it seems undiminished. I mean, the every single show in here, every semi-final, every dress rehearsal, all of that, they are sold out, sold out, sold out. The crowds are singing along. They're, I mean, they're just, it, it's amazing to feel the atmosphere in the arena. Um, and I think that does extend out. You know, I really get a sense of it. When I'm doing the commentary, you get messages through and stuff. And it's, Families are watching it together, and it's something that unites families yeah. with the past because people remember sitting and watching it with their parents. And yeah. like now, it's it's nearly seventy years old, so you know parents remember watching it with their parents. So it really it, it's at a it's one of those few 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 things in life where people completely come together, everyone knows what it is, and everyone can just enjoy it for I, what it is. Yeah, and it's a bit of, it's a, it's a harmless nonsense, but it's uplifting. Yeah. It's effortly uplifting. Like you say, uh, there's nothing not to like about it. There's nothing to fear from it. And I think that's why The Masked Singer is such a, such a breakout hit as well. I think I'm it's not, the I'm same not, thing. I'm, on paper, The Masked Singer is like you just <laughs> eye roll and you just go, what? Totally. And uh, we, it's one of the few things we watch every week. I know, I know. Yeah. It's the best. Take it off now. No, don't take off. Don't take off ITV. Take, yeah. um, Graham, all wonderful stuff. Um, you do you do amuse me, um, you know, intentionally and unintentionally. Here's here's the unintentionally. Graham is Graham is 
obviously not available for his um, Saturday show here on Virgin Radio this weekend because he's prepping for the big show that night after also smashing two semi-finals, another semi-final live tonight with Hannah Waddingham and um, and all the other wonderful people involved. But you are then <laughs> stepping up to host your radio show on Sunday morning. Now, that's the one I would miss and I would, I would host the Saturday show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would I, I would post it that as well, but I can't because yes. of the You're too busy. The dress no, the dress rehearsals and stuff. I, oh, I right, just okay. don't I'm not physically not around. And Sunday, I mean look, uh, uh it, it's my hotel room. <laughs> I just need to fall out of bed by past nine. No, and, it's good uh, for us. I can't wait to hear you on Sunday morning. Yeah. There might be more records than normal. <laughs> Well, Graham, listen, have the best time ever. You are the best of the best. Uh, give our love to the team. Tell Hannah Waddingham we absolutely, we, we worship. Tell her, t- tell her to build a temple and we'll meet her there because we all want to worship her at her altar. Fair enough, fair enough. And I, I, do, will, we, I will do that. Are we concurring that Sweden is the favourite? Uh, Sweden favourite, but I think Finland might win it on the night. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Conversations already underway, giggling already occurring. I'm up for a comfort break. We're just going to pick up on whatever you've been talking about to our <laughs> next guest after they get their big intro from Vasos Alexander. If there's something that annoys you about your husband or wife, there's no better way to clear the air than get a primetime TV show and tell everybody. <laughs> Series two of the Chris and Rosie Ramsey show begins tomorrow at 10.40 on BBC One. So please welcome the couple who make g- bickering glittering it's chris and rosie ramsey good hello. morning you two good morning what hello intro. welcome so what were you talking about carry on just carry well, on that we conversation. were discussing how to how to pace ourselves for the baftas on sunday oh, <laughs> yeah of course what a great conversation i know how, how genuinely, glad thought, genuinely thought you said pierce for a moment <laughs> no, no i was piercing. gonna have to get some piercings no, or no tattoos, tattoos or something yeah piercing. well here's Please. the thing i mean it starts the day really because you've got your big launch of your bbc one show now the yes. chris and rosie ramsey show but then we've got Eurovision to survive yes. and then you've got, got to get into the BAFTAs and if you're anywhere near Rachel on Saturday that also includes this massive charity football match at Chesham United that we're all going to. Yeah, oh, gosh. yeah it's a lot of oh, barockers needed. Yes, there's wow. a lot going on isn't there? Oh, yeah. well, hey, congratulations on what's already a hit show. So they're not moving it from BBC Two uh, to BBC One as a, as a last ditch, you know, <laughs> attempt at CPR. This is because it's already a massive hit. It's been nominated for loads of stuff. Yeah. It's going to Friday night. We've just had Graham on it's you know it's his slot so i mean you know what's not to like there when he's not on you're on when you're not on he's on congrats you flipping lation thank you so much it's it's a real honor actually when they told i didn't realize it was the slot and when they told us i was like that is so 
I, I mean, I, I still fully believe there's been a last minute dropout on someone else's part. <laughs> someone someone got ill or someone wrote it wrong and went, it's oh, an, we've told it's them now. It's, really yeah, it's great to keep the Graham Norton slot warm for him while he's off, off aid and, you know, in between series. It's brilliant. No, it's the best, man. It's the best, 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 best. You know, um, we want to we want to find out when you first met your origin story. Because yes. it's always fun to go back at a certain point. And I think this now, because you, you've exploded anyway, but this is yet another explosion. Tomorrow, BBC One, 10.40, Chris and Rosie on their brand new, big, huge, mega TV show, already nominated for, for National Television Awards and BAFTAs and things like that. But how did you get together and what were you doing when you met each other? Uh, we were 14 when we met each other. When the first time we met each other, we were 14. Right. I can tell you the exact... I remember the moment, right? Um, my friends lived around the corner in my estate. Uh, they were, uh, quote-unquote, bigger boys. Um, and the bigger boys were dating uh, some girls from my year, yeah. right? Now, as you know, at school... Girls mature much quicker than boys. Yeah. So the girls, to the girls in your year, they're terrifying. So they go on out with the boys who are older. Right. And I remember being in the house and going, oh, there's, there's girls in the street. <laughs> there's, 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 there's blooming girls. I can't believe it. So I went out. I think I was on my bike. Uh, and Rosie and her friend were there. And they'd stop to speak to the group of lads who was playing the street. And they were going round the corner to see the bigger boys who they were dating. Right. And I just remember thinking, wow, she is... She's beautiful. Gorgeous. I didn't even see Chris, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he just you make all that up? No, I, yeah. I didn't have a... No, I she didn't, didn't notice us. No, Chris, she didn't that. notice us because I didn't have a little bum flush tash, <laughs> a little bum fluff tash on my top lip. Uh, you know, and I didn't have a deep voice. I was probably the squeakiest in the street. Um, and then we just always knew we of went each to other. We went to college together. Right. And you sat next to my boyfriend. At college. Yeah, I copied off your boyfriend in maths. Yeah. A-level maths. Who, why did I pick that? Not just the maths. Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to walk past you in, the, in the, one of the corridors and we always used to say hello and I always yeah. used to think, oh my God, that's that's that that's that girl. And I always remembered. And then... And our paths just kind of crossed throughout life. And then and then when we, then we got together about 10 years later. Yeah. And we got, mar- we got engaged after six months. Yeah. Right, so sort of... Uh, 27, 28 years old, something like yeah. that. Mm. Yes. Yeah, about that, weren't we? 26, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so you walk the full length of the counter, which uh-huh. is important in life, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> we totally agree. I agree with what that. A lovely way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. Walk the, Kissed a lot of frogs. Always. Yeah. Regardless of, of what walk you're shopping the full for length of or the you're counter. perusing, walk the full length of the counter. <laughs> um, have Beautiful. a little look, you know. Um, no need for the hot cell um, or the cold <laughs> call in. And, and then, because Rachel, you were wondering what Rosie was up to at different times in her career when. Chris was clearly stand, being a stand-up. Yeah, so what were you doing when Chris was doing stand-up? So I, was, so I started off as a Ponton's blue coat and then oh, I, nice. I, I've been singing and dancing around like pubs and clubs and holiday camps and abroad for years. So then when we did get together finally, I, because we're from a small town, there's not many people who gig Friday, Saturday, Sundays, but we both did. So it was like we got, we got it for the first time ever. Yeah. It was like, oh, you do this as well. And, yeah. and, and it just worked because all of our other partners had just been like, when are you going to get a proper job yeah it's like it's like Very I finally found so. someone who understood that I couldn't go to that uh, family christening because I had a gig in Grimsby. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, but no one else gets it, uh, yeah. and then and then someone got it, and it was and, just like, wow, well, you get it. All the weekend telly videoed for Monday and Tuesday. 
Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. well, Monday and Tuesday is our weekend. No, that, exactly. For it years, is, yeah. it's been our weekend. The we most go for fun. meals on Monday nights. Yeah. Less people around, everything's cheaper. It's great. We're out getting drunk on a Monday Pumps night. yourself. Yeah, well, we used to be before kids. But well, yeah. the rest of the world's at work. I mean, that is the thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. same when I was DJing around the clubs and the pubs, same kind of thing. And you get that weekend vibe. And the thing is, people say, oh, but you have to work at the weekend. Yeah, well, yeah, but to be honest, you know, when it gets to half 10, 11 o'clock, we can still drive. And, and, and by the way, we're getting paid to do what you do, but not feel as bad as you that is so might <laughs> probably will the next yeah. day. Yeah, that is true. I mean, we've made up for it since, haven't we, boys <laughs> oh, and girls? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so, um, tipping points in your sort of joint career. Um, or maybe the, the the biggest tipping point in maybe your career first, Chris? Um, let's, have a, let's have a little chronology here. I My first sort of big break, right, yes. uh, well, two. My first live break came when uh, I supported Al Murray. Right. The pub landlord. He took me on tour. I was his only support act. Uh, went on tour with him. That was amazing. Uh, and then I uh, I got me big break. Um, Russell Howard's Good News. Right. Um, and I uh, I only filmed a, a stand-in stand-up slot. Yes. Because I was only there that day to watch the warm-up guy, but someone messed up and I had to do the stand-in slot. And then someone else messed up on their stand-up the next week and mine ended up going on telly like easily six months before it should have. Oh my goodness me, that's so interesting. So in yeah. America, the equivalent of that would have been, isn't so much nowadays, but would have been, you know, smashing it, killing it, crushing it for four minutes on Johnny Carson, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it feel like that for you? Because if it did, I would imagine you were more nervous or aware of the importance of it than otherwise. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a bizarre, bizarre series of events that led to it. And then I remember the comedian who was supposed to go out, he phoned us and he went, how, he went, when you did your slot, how, what was the pushback? What, not the pushback, what was the kind of, the, the, you know, what reach did you get when you did the slot? And I went, I haven't done it. Mine didn't go on telly. Mine's just a backup. And he went, oh, mine, there was a technical error with mine, so yours will go out tonight. And it went out and it was just this, Facebook at the time I was on, and it was just this huge influx of followers and things. And then people started coming to gigs and I was like, I could do a little tour here. And it was just one of their moments. So, uh, oh, eternally grateful for Russell Howard for letting us on there. So, so in yeah. its own way, new media's always been your friend, hasn't it? I, I suppose. Yeah, but sort of my well, MySpace comedy was the first thing, a little MySpace <sighs> comedy page with things filmed on a camera. Then Facebook, and then yeah, and then obviously podcasting Social became the media, next one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for you, is Insta? Would that be Instagram, fair? Instagram, yeah. So tell us about your first ever Insta post and the thoughts behind that, and the the speed the with which things exploded after for you. So and then together, obviously. So yeah, so I my Instagram is still my very much my own personal page that I've had for 15 years. Right. And I ju- when Chris was away, I left my job in radio and I looked after our son and I was ju- just went a little bit crazy if I'm honest with you. And I started doing just stories on Instagram, but I only had like 500 followers. What, to camera video pieces. To the vi- to the video like just what, for like vlogs, just kind of just talking about our day and just day-to-day things. And it was a little bit like therapy, but then my, I started getting more and more followers. So like you'd be you'd have your phone. Yeah. You'd be sitting somewhere in in the house in the kitchen. Usually in the house. And how long would the video be? Just... Throughout the day, I'd probably do about two minutes worth of video footage right. of just Robin and I, my son, and just kind of, you know, doing little bits and bobs and, and you loads post of them as things. you go. And I would post them as I as I go. Right. But at the at the beginning, it was just to my friends and family, and I honestly think they thought I was having a breakdown. Well, sorry to interrupt you, but the, ev- the evolution <laughs> of this, to? the evolution of this that Rosie didn't realise was at first my mates were going here, your lass. Your lass is funny on Instagram, like your lass is funny. Right. So that started happening. I was like, all right. And obviously I was watching them anyway. Then I'm doing TV shows and 
makeup artists and uh, mainly female producers and people behind the scenes were going, oh, oh my God, I love your wife. I lo- your wife's amazing. On Instagram. <laughs> oh my God. So it went from, your ass is funny way. to, oh my God, your, your wife's amazing. I, lo- I'm like, oh, I love your I wife. What, so, because they weren't punchlines. They were just, it's just Rosie being Rosie. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best way to describe it. It was just uh, Rosie being Rosie. So what did they find it. funny and amusing and, 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 and captivating about they it? They just, they loved the way you went on. They loved your different videos, Rosie. The different, like, the, 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 they were just like, it was how real you were. And I think it still sort of shines through now. As people said it to us last night after the show of how like we are, we haven't changed in any way because we surround ourselves with mates who wouldn't let we change. The wouldn't very let healthy. Us. So it's very true. hard to do, but it's very healthy. It'd be impossible. Yeah, I've got some, some of my mates I've had since I was six. Like we've got, we live in the same street. Our grand, our kids go to their grandparents' houses, and it's in the same street. Like my son can't get his head around the fact that three of his mates live, their grandparents live in the same street as my grandparents. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah, we all yeah. lived in this estate. Yeah, yeah. But it was just Rosie being Rosie, and you were just filling the time well, and just, just messing around. Just give us like three subjects from, for example, that you might visit. What I did on Instagram. Yeah, so oh my gosh, I'm talking. I would be at the soft play, but. I found a soft play that sold alcohol. So I started going to this soft play. Already funny. <laughs> on it. So this, I was like, I can't believe I the found soft a soft play, play with alcohol. Yeah, oh my gosh. Soft play arms. So I would go there like three times a week yeah. and I would just kind of like vlog whilst I was there going, this is the best soft play everyone needs to come. And it was just, it was just honest, just chatting about potty training and because Robin was growing up and, well. and I would do Madness. dances and, and because I, because I was a, blue coat and I've done all of that stuff yeah. I, I just needed like an outlet and I wasn't working and I just felt a bit and I went back on tour when it, it Robin our first born he was 10 days old when I went back on tour yeah and she had a C-section. So you were stir crazy, weren't you? Oh, well, yeah. Don't get, being a full-time mom, I think it's the best thing well, ever, so but what, it's hard. What was the first occasion where you did something together? Um, Facebook Lives, when you were promoting your TV show. Yes, I was promoting my TV show from Comedy Central years ago and, and I was doing Facebook Lives and Rosie was basically heckling from the sidelines, just yeah. heckling in. And everyone was like, your wife's hilarious. And then by the end, <laughs> we were doing them together. Yeah. And then, but we did, we did, we did married to a celebrity survival guide thing. The, remember oh, we that? did a couple we did of little telly things, yeah. We did yeah. A, te- a parenting thing for Channel 4 where uh-huh. they just came and filmed in the house. It wasn't... the. the the first main thing Rosie did on telly was hosting, co-hosting the first episode of the Chris and Rosie Ramsey show on BBC Two last year. I've never done anything. Wow. <laughs> and smashed it. And like, yeah, yeah clearly. Our director said last night, our director Peter Orton, he's a legend, he said last night, there's no reason she should have been that good the first time she did that. Peter Orton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's your director? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Peter Orton. It's a dream yeah. team, man. <laughs> Jeez. So you've already recorded tomorrow's show last night. Yes. yes. Well, you seem in a pretty good mood, so it must have gone quite well it, it, it went really awesome. well we had a, we had the audience was amazing we had great guests this is um, so cool and we had yeah. so we had just had loads of fun actually we can actually tell you who we had actually we had a we got joel domit and hannah domit yep and uh al murray did the uh please keep me anonymous mm. brilliant uh and it was uh it was wonderful yeah really funny but the audience make it everyone who comes to that show says that it's not like a tv record it's like a live show because the audience Which are is so what you good. want isn't like, it they're so good what time do you record Ooh, seven, we're seven to start at seven, but we started it. quarter past seven because I was getting my hands tanned. <laughs> Which you have to do. So, because uh, otherwise they won't match your overmade face. Exactly. That was exactly That's the it. thing, yeah. especially if you like us. It's unbelievable. So, what time do you finish? We were done by about half nine, I think. Quarter past nine. Quarter past and nine. And you're, you're here bright as a button. This is the way to do it, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, want, I want it every night. I want yeah. you on every night. <laughs> I mean, you know, James Corden's just, he's just vacated this massive chair in America, hasn't oh he? Oh my gosh. I mean, I don't, has he got a gnome? 
What? He is coming, is he coming home. home. Yeah, he's coming home. Yeah, that's wow. why he's done it. He's come home because he's, you know, he says time doesn't do refunds. You know, my dad's not getting any younger. Um, it's, the, that, we it's still live the in the north. Thing. He's such a wise. He's so wise, James. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you can't go over there and just pick up and take <laughs> with this accent. You're joking, aren't you? <laughs> I know. I just subtitle every episode. <laughs> oh my goodness me! Um, right. So, so what are the weekends? So, what's going on with you in the Baftas? Uh, we are. I don't know if we'll see it yet, but we'll see it anyway. We're presenting an award. We're presenting an award at the Baftas. Yeah, we're yes. not there for any award ourseles. No, but we're, we're I'm, I've award. never been, so I'm really looking forward to it. And we don't go to many award stuff. Nah. We kind of avoid them. But um, I'm looking forward to this one because I think it's going to be quite. It was on Rosie's list fancy. of ones she would go to. Yeah. yeah. So what's the plan? I mean, just tell us what you want. Don't tell us anything you don't want. Don't really mind. Um, the this series, this BBC One series, was commissioned, or the show was recommissioned before the first show had really sort of um, even begun to finish, because people knew they they know a hit. TV people know a hit, of course they do, and they're so grateful of one nowadays because you don't know. It's so difficult. It is. And there's so much amazing telly yes. out there now. Yep. So because you are global, so your po- podcasts are global. Instagram yeah. is global. It just is. There's not Instagram UK. There's not Podcast UK. So you're on BBC One, which of course is as good as it gets anywhere around the world, but it's not as global as your podcasting and their, or your, so your Instagram. Uh-huh. So could, could that, because this BBC Worldwide, could that mm. go global? Could that be on Netflix? You know, because that's where we are nowadays, isn't yeah. it? What do yeah. you think about the future? No idea. I mean, we, we honestly. We, we, sorry. No, no, cool. We just, li- we live in this little weird world of yeah. like, of, of just stuff happens and you kind of just have to take it as it comes. And We're just riding the roller coaster, I swear. Yeah. We, we thought we were going to do six episodes yeah. of our podcast and every time we finish recording a podcast, we turn it off and we look at each other and we go, was that good? And I go, well, I, I, I go, well, you were funny. And she go, well, you were funny. And we go, all right, we'll see. And then every week it goes to the top of the podcast charts, you know, and we'll go, okay, then people must still like it. And we, it's honestly, it sounds like we're being sort of deliberately naive or trying to sort no, of buy a question And we're not, we've got the arena, we've got another arena tour in the autumn mm-hmm. and we're just going to see if people keep listening, we'll keep doing it. If not, we'll do something yeah, else. Yeah, you're not being deliberately naive. And, and by the way, people aren't deliberately naive. They're faux naive. <laughs> and you're not that. Because I've, it's obvious when people, by the way, it works. Nothing yeah. wrong with that, yeah. but it's an act. Yeah, yeah, clearly yeah. It's not an act. You're so no, we, jaded by this ev- industry, it's coming off your shit. No, I'm not jaded yeah. by it. Not, I promise you, I'm not. I think it's fascinating. And I think, you know, the fact that you take your podcast and you do this arena tour and you think, okay, so where, so what, what's, what do you have to do to turn that into this? Answer? What, to turn a podcast into an arena show? A, a, by the way, a sellout arena tour, Production. an extended dates arena tour. Yeah. Production. Uh, Production, production, production. We've got what, to, how does that work? It, 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 we knew it was going to be a live podcast, but that is only one element of it. You cannot expect to sit at a table and talk the way we're talking right. now in an arena and expect the guy on the guy and lady on Row ZZZ to actually be. So where does the show come from then? Well, the, we we wanted it's a bit it's a bit kind of jazz hands, and I don't yeah. know whether that's a little bit of my past. Oh, there's because, blue. There's definite blue <laughs> coatage in there. Nice. <laughs> Because so, we we vote, we said with the show, we were like, we could just sit and do the podcast. And I was like, nobody wants to sit and watch yeah, yeah. two in an arena. Not an arena. So we've added a little bit of production, spent yeah. a bit of money. Yeah. And it's it's a good show. It's like it's, it's an all round show. Sort of the first show. one was good. And the second one, we're going to go bigger and better. We've got some massive plans for the second arena. Well, what might yeah. be bigger? 
Oh, we don't know. Yeah. You can tell us about. Oh gosh, I don't even. Oh, the end. Hopefully, the end. The end. Oh yeah, hopefully the end. The end. A bigger end. A bigger yeah, end. <laughs> and I wrapped. I wrapped uh, Boomshake the room at the end of the last one with full production. So and people love we'll see what they? happened. Oh, Do you know? Very proud of you for that because actually, that Chris is like comedians are a little bit too cool for school. Most of them. Yeah. Well, and that you. took a lot to get you to do that. Yeah, so well Various done. meetings when I went. I'm not. I'm not doing it. I feel sick. I'm like. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. And then by the end, I'm like, yo, back up now. We're going to like, do you have the date schedule for the next tour? Do you know yeah, they're I mean? all in. Yeah, they're all in. Yeah, so how, how many selling. venues are you playing? I think uh, we're playing about 12, 12 or 14 arenas all over the UK. Wow. We've got Wembley. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah. It's really cool. It's really and the cool. Fact you, take, you seem to take, be so comfortable about it all. And do, you, we, do you get nervous? Do you get any anxiety at all? Oh my God. So last night, yesterday, all day yesterday, really? I was re- yeah, I was really nervous. So we're getting, we're getting the re- relieved and relaxed. Rosie. Yeah, this is yeah. we've done the show. The first show, it's fine. But as soon as we got out there, it was fine. But I, I really, I really trust Chris. Yeah, yeah. He's a good pair of He's hands. He's a good driver, isn't he? He's a really good driver. Yeah, and yeah. He knows what he's doing and it makes me feel a lot more w- uh, so appreciative, aren't you? Well, you know, she's never said the sentence good driver because obviously she means in an entertainment sense this time. If she was talking about an actual oh, car, she'd tell you was a terrible oh, driver because she's horrendous. the worst passenger ever. No, you are horrendous driver. No, it is. It, you're totally, I, I know that, I know, I trust you and I know you can be funny and, and, and you trust me and you know what, and, and it's just, it's nice having someone, you know, you trust a, a co-host or whatever, but there's only so far you can trust an actual co-host who you just work with, but we're married and we And each other, so. we can be horrendously awful to each other mm-hmm. and it's fine. Like we can, we, we kind of sometimes not like in the TV we can snap at each other yeah. and you're not going to sit and get really annoyed because we do it's, because we do you that get on so well and because you're the, the, the sort of 80-20 of your appeal is you guys alright so you take the show on tour you do a rap you do some funny stuff you have some great ideas on the telly show and they're all, they are brilliant ideas um, which is difficult because if you come up with a sort of preconceived idea on a TV show it can stick out like a sore thumb sometimes yeah, yeah. And I'm sure some of them in the, were in the pilot and the best ones have survived and all this kind of stuff totally but right. we love you because of you right which means that you could do there could be a lot less production a lot less sort of um, uh, pre premeditated mm. ideas, written ideas, and you two could just sit on a sofa every day, you know, and and take what <laughs> the world has to, to, you know, as you wake up each... Look at you! Oh, look at wait, each wait. morning, and we, we'd have you five days a week, and oh, I gosh. think... Those shows are brilliant, and that's what—that's sort of what you do anyway. Yeah, but you, you just shine know. brighter lights on and have turn yeah. the volume up. I think right. I know why you're laughing though. Why? Well, be, well, because most of the show, the the BBC really trusted us. Actually, yeah. and I'm quite glad. We don't know what's happening. Yeah. In most of the show. So all of we get beefs from the audience and when um are. the celebrity reads out the please keep me on, we don't know what they are. So our react we wanted to, our reactions to be. Real, yeah, but if you were on the telly like in the morning, like Holland, mm. Holly and Filler, right? Yeah. So, you 90 minute show, everybody, A, we'd all want to come on because it's such a happy place to be, uh. you know. Uh, C, you'd get the A listers because you're so popular and people love being with you. Then you'd have the extra heat of the podcast and you'd have the live tour, so you've got the Anton Deck thing going on as well. So, that's all wonderful. <laughs> and then you could do like a live phone in doing this every morning, and the last 15 minutes of the show, like. You know, that's where you get your spike anyway. And I'm like, I'm thinking, oh my this is a show Chris. waiting to happen. You... Oh, my gosh. I feel but... like we should sign to Chris's age. Yeah, them. I feel like he's going to sign us up. <laughs> no, but I just think, for me, I mean, you don't need it. Of course you don't need it. But, you know, TV companies, whether it's here or in the US or Australia or wherever, would kill for you two. Because if you've got the, you know, it's about the, the people in front of the camera. It's about the people behind the microphones. And then, yeah, all the rest comes. Mm. Yeah? But Thank you. You two are gold, man. 
You oh, two are so very you kind two are, of you to say. You're more than gold. Thank you. Um, That's so nice of you. I've no, never, I'm not used to getting this many compliments at this time in the morning. I'm actually, I think I might get a nosebleed. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, normally got children screaming at us, Chris. This, this is really strange. <laughs> an article in the paper today about, um, it's on the front page of The Times. Oh. Here we go. Oh, um, come on then. It's about T2 and it says, I've got what every woman needs, says one of their writers. And uh, she's a lady. And what she has that she thinks every woman needs is not a husband, but it's a dozband. It's oh. a husband that does. <laughs> I love I'm that. This is right up your street, isn't it? Yeah. I'm a absolutely a husband. I realised last night when we were on the TV show, right? I realised that I am the host of the show, but I'm also Rosie's personal runner. Yeah. I swear, I was walking up and down the stairs at the television centre so much. Were. Someone actually said, "Oh, you're right. I'm walking past. I'm getting ibuprofen. I'm getting a case. I'm getting a different shoes." I don't want to have to ask somebody. So, yeah, to so get she won't ask things. the person whose job it is because she feels like you know she feels like she you're doesn't like want to do King that. Charles, you you are not here to be served. You're here to serve. <laughs> I am. I'm and this is your queen. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and people are going, "Chris, we'll go and get that." And I go, "I can't. If I fob this off to you, she'll tell us off later." You I could, like, I'm not okay. Could you go and get my thong, please, stranger? I've never met. Or yeah. could my husband? been go and get it out of my suitcase yes okay fair yeah. enough. there you go fair so enough. you talk about pontins yes coats. yeah we used to go to butlins red coats uh-huh. so you know pontins that's got a certain ring to it butlins these are all family names yeah. what about ramses i want to go and say, i want to go to ramses for my holiday <laughs> oh my gosh do it because that <laughs> would be on. a dream come true <laughs> that would be rosie's genuinely <laughs> you've hit on something yeah but that he would doesn't want to go to ramses ho- yeah the holiday park with yeah oh my gosh nighttime entertainment yes yeah play park for the kids so, yes. so global tv show via the bbc <laughs> yeah. via bbc worldwide yeah because that would only be fair uh-huh. yeah itv monday to friday um, after Phil, in for Phil and Holly, uh, whatever, wow. right, uh-huh. or afternoons, and then um, uh, global network of theme parks. Yes, please. You are really? underestimating how lazy we are. You are underestimating how lazy we are. Genuinely, <laughs> you're not lazy. You know, do you know what? You're not lazy. You just find what you do not easy. Because I'm not saying it's easy, but you're very. It's your true nature. If you are basically shining a magnifying glass and a spotlight on your true nature, then you will be able to sustain that for longer because it's who you are anyway. And that's what you two do. Thanks. What a a lovely chat this this has been. been, This has been good for the day. Before I go, right, have I changed? Yes, I have changed. Shout out to me gardener, Simon. He texted us saying I was on the show today. He's a big fan. Shout out to Simon. Oh, is he listening? Well, he better be working, but yeah. All right, so listen, what a weekend it's going to be. What a couple of weekends we've had, haven't we? Bank holiday weekends, coronation. Yeah. I know. Your vision this weekend, you guys on the telly tomorrow. It's not as bad as a lot of people are making out, everyone. Mm. It's all right. It's, it's going to be okay. It's all, all right. going to be okay. Yeah. You two have got to go. Where are you going next? Oh, oh gosh. gosh. We're jumping on the tube and going somewhere. BBC? Woman's Hour, maybe. I might get oh, an hour off. Nice. I'll sit outside. Uh, bring in the husband <laughs> chat there. They'd love it. Oh, yeah, they'd love it. Chris and Rosie Ramsey. The Chris and Rosie Ramsey show. Series two returns from BBC two as series one on BBC one. Tomorrow from 10.40. You're the best. Thanks very much. Thank uh, you. Good luck. Thank, Thank you, sir. So All the best. All right, another massive intro for another massive guest. Vassos, over to you. He's the greatest snooker player of all time with seven world titles and both the fastest ever maximum break and an annoyingly quick parkrun PB. His new autobiography, Unbreakable, is out today. And let's face it, snooker loopy nuts are we all for Ronnie O'Sullivan. Good morning, Ronnie. How you doing? You all right, Chris? Yeah. I'm really well. Thanks for coming in. No, thanks for having me on. What a book, mate. Oh, I'm glad you like it. And yeah, I put a lot of work into it. Obviously, like when you do a book, you want it to be as authentic and 
people got to read it, you know. So I got want to do the best job we did. And me and Tom did. We put heart and soul into it. You Tell know? us about Tom quickly, Fassos. Uh, Tom is uh, a pal of mine. He. Uh, might still work for the BBC. He definitely used to. He used to work for online, but he does. He does a lot of these, or you know, an acceptable amount. But he does. He puts a lot of work into it, and you'll know this, Ronnie. He really makes it an effort to make sure it's your voice that comes through yeah. the pages, and and it really is. I think he's done this. I think this might be his best autobiography ghosting. Yeah, I mean, it was, I was sat down with three different writers and I had to make a decision and the one that done it for me was that he liked running so I thought, sweet, we're going to run. Yeah. That was the deal breaker for me, like writing a book, I just had to trust he knew what he was doing and, um, but really it was just that we had that common bond and I thought, as long as we got that, we're going to we're gonna get on well, you know, yeah. so, um, but he's a serious guy, it's very different to my first two, where Simon was just, he's just all over the place but brilliant because he's a bit of a genius. Tom, very structured. I'm not normally good with structure but I got into it and Tom and Tom and us it was it's it's a different type of book it's like he wanted to see snooker and the world through how I see it so it was like you know I had to go through that sort of process of like trying to like how do I feel what do I do to help you know because I don't normally think it just comes instinctively you know you have to obviously try and get in the right good place but usually it just you have to let it happen you know so it was like a bit of a therapy session as well like you know the first fascinating thing you've just you've said in this interview, and I'm, there's going to be loads, is I'm not very I'm not very good with structure. For a snooker player to say that mm. is is quite incredible until you read Ronnie's book, mm. because it's all about the antithesis of what people think perceived you as for years anyway mm. and the mathematics of snooker and mm. how that doesn't come into it where you're concerned. Mm. Um, you you are structured when it comes to practice. You mm. you. You're really tough on yourself. You're mm. too tough on yourself, mm. and you, you you've recognised that via mm. this book. You, you're you, this. It's not as much about running as it is about snooker, but it nearly is. The mm. book in the end, it's mm. brilliant. It begins. This is what it feels like when you're playing snooker well. When you're doing, not thinking. When the snooker gods are smiling on you, not pulling you apart. It's an energy in your body, walking around the table, in your mind, looking at the spread of the balls, settling down behind the white, the butt of the cue sitting in your right hand, your bridge hand out on the green cloth ahead of you, middle finger pointing the way like a needle on a compass. It's the best drug you've ever experienced. You've felt it before, but it left you, and now it's returned. You recognise the lovely rush, mm. and you want it to stay forever. Mm. Wow. Yeah, well... Does real life ever come close to that? No, no, absolutely not, you know. Uh, I get a lot of pleasure out of life, don't get me wrong, cooking and going running and all that sort of stuff, um, but nothing compares to this. And it'll it never be able to replace it either because I'm never going to be as good at anything else as I have been at this. So it's kind of I've taken this game to as high a place as, as I could take it and, as, and, 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 and been better than pretty much everyone else that I've played against. So it's kind of a weird situation to be in to kind of be able to boss pretty much most of your games. And that's that's what you, that's a, a good feeling, you know. And Sam, you know, the fact that you say, I'll never be as good at anything else as I am at this. You're better at this than almost anybody in the world. It's, you're arguably the greatest of all time. What does that, what does it feel like to be that good at something compared to the other seven and a half billion people on the planet? Listen, there's some, some amazing talented players out there and you have to be on your game just to try and be one step ahead of them because that's all you ever are, even when you're at your best. So when you're not at your best, you're, you, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you know, you're vulnerable. But for me, Stephen Hendry was my hero, my, the greatest player 
I've ever seen and played. Um, so I'm happy to share that title if that's the case, but I've never put myself ahead of Stephen Hendry because I wish I could be more like him. He was my hero. He's like, I watched how he done his business and I was like, I wish I could be that guy, you know, but I'm not, but I've just managed to, like the title says unbreakable i've broken so many times but i've just had to put myself back together that's yeah, the yeah. difference you know hendry didn't break he was just like a machine but i've fell apart had to get off the floor fell apart and i kind of got used to that all my life but i've had to learn how to try and not fall apart so bad and just you know um just just managed that side of the, of me really you know it's an it's an obvious metaphor, but you know, mm. at the beginning beginning of every frame of snooker, mm. you smash into the reds, you break up mm. the, the organisation, the cosmos, mm. the perfection of mm. how the balls are laid out, and you try and get them back together, back to where they started, and that's sort of what the book's about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's snooker is like you you if you look at the guy who's just won the world championship, Luca Purcell. You know, if you look at the way he plays, you go, it's not the way you're supposed to learn how to play the game. You know. It's very, you know, it's, it's it's make it up as you go along. Very creative. Judge Trump as well. And that's, I fall, I kind of fall into that bracket. So when I say I'm not used to structure, structure doesn't work for me because we're like feeling players. If we feel good, then, you know, we, you know, the game becomes limitless of, of options. Yeah. And that's how my life's kind of been. And I, but I've had to learn to have structure within it because without structure, you kind of, you're all over the place. That's but the thing, there's it? only so much structure I, I, I need and I'm prepared to, because if you go to that, that way, then I become like, I don't know, I lose my, my flow in a way, you know. Yeah, but you need that stability, don't you? Mm. Stability is everything. And when you're really yeah. creative, it's it, it's often you perceive it as the enemy, but it's not really. No. It's, it's your friend. It's the framework. You know, you, you, at some point you have to have some sort of framework and some boundaries to go, okay, well, that's in place. We need that because without that, you're never going to be a success. But within that, you can kind of play about with it yeah. a bit and sort of make your own rules up in a way. But it always comes back to having that solid framework. And, you know, anyone that's been successful in, in their career realised that at some point, you know, I need that to operate, but within boundaries. that, then... you need the boundaries, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You need the boundaries because mm. if you have got anything to push against, then you can't get any stronger, mm. and you just in the end fall off the cliff. Mm. Uh, it's all in the book. It's very candid. It's very honest. I mm. couldn't put it down. I read it in one hit yesterday. Oh wow! From cover to cover, and it didn't take me long. I've got to say, it's what a page turner. You talked about Stephen Hendry there. Mm. Uh, you talk about. Lots of amazing snooker players. You talk, one of the many interesting bits in the book is when you say that you yourself mm. have felt closer to Stephen Hendry and Steve Davis mm. than perhaps other people may have thought you were. Mm. In fact, they would put you close towards Alex Higgins mm. and, and the, the punk aspect of snooker. Mm. Clearly, you get why they have perceived you like that. Yeah. And the surprise is that you don't. Just mm. talk, talk about that a bit. Well, I was always... Um drummed into me as a kid that Steve Davis was someone you should follow, you know, by my dad. So I kind of, as a young kid, I was built and, you know, that was how I went about, you know, trying to become the player I wanted to come. Um, so really, Hendry, uh, Jimmy White and Alex Higgins were never like the people that I would follow, you know. I was always very meticulous, very tight on technique, very science-based. Um, and that's what you kind of, like we say, you know, you need that framework. Um and Steve Davis as well, and Hendry. So they were both sort of the people that I was always trying to be like, you know, if you like. But I had a brain that worked a bit quicker. So it was kind of like, 
that's why I think people go, oh, he's like Jimmy White, he's like Alex Higgins, because my brain thinks quicker, you know, Steve. You're Davis. like a hybrid of the two in a way. In a way, yeah, in a way. Um, yeah, but when I was more going towards the Alex Higgins, Jimmy White, which was pure instinct, I, I couldn't win the world championships, yeah. which was like something I always wanted to do. Yeah. So I had to take my game apart, which I've mentioned in a book in 2000, went to see a coach in Bristol, Frank Anderson, who I'd seen what he'd done with other players. And I went, if you can do that with me, then I can become world champion. But if I had never changed, I would never have become world champion. So I, I realised that early on because I lost myself for six, seven years. You know, as a kid, I was brilliant, technically you know, I had, I had the game and then I kind of self-taught myself from 17 to 24 and ruined my game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd become like a pool player, really. Yeah. You know, I was like, I didn't even look like a snooker player. So I well, needed someone center, to help me. you can't me. see it. You can't, you can't. That's you why know. you need a coach. You need a coach, yeah. And not not just a playing coach, but also a mental coach. Well, yeah. Tell us about mm. Steve Peters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, he was like the, 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 the icing on the cake, really, because... When I got my game right, I kind of like that gave me the confidence and the you know, and I knew how to get through matches. We're all mentally strong on the tour, but sometimes it's your form that can like drain you. And if your form's not great for long periods of time, you just give up. So once I got my game right and I was more consistent, I was able to sort of keep the momentum going. But then, you know, obviously I won the world championships, I win tournaments, but I'd go missing for certain matches, and it was like I didn't know how to dig in because I wasn't prepared to. I didn't believe I could win by not playing my best. Steve Peters changed that and kind of went, look, we're not going to sabotage anymore because that's what I was doing. And I didn't realise I was doing it until he kind of pointed it out to me and showed me. And I was like, yeah, I do do that. So once I stopped doing that, I started to win certain games and then find my feet and then find my form. And I was like, wow, this is great. So then obviously the, the levels of consistency were much higher just through applying some mental skills, you know? Yeah, and snooker matches can be so long. You can't mm. be on the offensive all the time. And mm. you thought it was either win or lose. Yeah. And it was day or night. And he's yeah. saying, no, no, there's the morning and the afternoon. Yeah. As long as you stay neutral. And you talk about staying neutral in the book. Yeah, yeah, just staying yeah, just staying neutral, just staying in that sort of, in the moment, really, and just sort of like one ball at a time. I'm like, one ball at a time? I'm already thinking about the final. I'm already thinking, like, if I get, get nope. the game right, this is in the bag. So, you know, he was like, no, let's just stay more present because you're going to have your ups and downs. Yeah. It's just life. And I was like, okay. You can't win in the future no no <laughs> you've got to win in exactly, the here and now exactly so it was kind of like about retraining my what i you know the truths of life really you know because my truths were like unreasonable you yeah. know like you said i was hard on myself so i was trying to live up to these truths and steve went if we can change them and be a bit more realistic and a bit more like you know what's attain and what's what what you know the rules of snooker is no one is consistent all the time and i was like Really? And I was like, okay. So he said, as long as you learn them rules, yep. you can accept them and move on and just do the best that you can do. So I, I work really hard on that, um, but I still fall apart. It's a story of three Steves as well, the book. Yeah. Because you got Steve um, Peters, yeah. you got Stephen Hendry, you got Steve yeah. Davis. Yeah. Steve Davis was one of your first coaches? Well, I used to, from TV, so obviously never right. got to meet him, but oh, I, I used to study him. I used to study him on TV, so I'd watch everything. What did you learn? What was his strengths? His strengths were just his. Um, He's set up. He's just he's just how he kind of get behind the ball. His feet would be together. Every the routine, the routine and the stillness and was just unbelievable. You know, he was like he he, he was like when Tiger Woods came along, it was like a different game. Yeah. He was just so much better than everybody else because of the discipline, the routine. Because snooker is like a 
it's like you know you have to pot a lot of balls you know it's not like oh, a moment of magic it's like you need to like continuously get from one ball to yeah. the next to the and there's next. no momentum because the balls aren't coming at you in foot like in football and tennis exactly. it's a still ball yeah sport. so if you you miss hit one it's not the ball's fault it's your fault yeah. so you kind of have to internalize a lot of this and kind of go well i've like i'm to blame you know it's not you know you can't blame the weather the conditions <laughs> it's like this is as flat as it gets yeah there's no role you know what i mean so oh. you know you know that's where you. That's why he would pay my coach. And every time you answer a question, I think of ten more, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to stick on the best ones because you talk about you can't. You know, there's no weather in sport, but there there are or there is different atmospheres mm. in different arenas. Yeah, uh, different sound, mm. different ambience, mm. um, and you're saying, oh, this is. So there are better venues than other venues. Ah, oh, absolutely. Theaters, theater creates theater. Right. Um, leisure centers create nothing. Yeah. Um, so when we play in the leisure centre, everything gets lost. Yeah, yeah. It's just it just doesn't. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's but an industrial space, therefore yeah, it's an industrial, it, less artistic. Just doesn't game. work basically for snooker. That amazing. Um, but the Crucible Theatre is it's too much though. I think <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether it's because we're used to playing in leisure centres and you get used to the atmosphere, yeah. and then you, they put you in the crucible and you're like what is going what on is here it? it's like mastermind everything goes quiet oh, it's, 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 it's horrible time even now. when you're flying and you're at your best it is the most horrendous 17 days that you put yourself through I don't care you know and I've spoke to other snooker players just to kind of check out whether I'm not right or that you know if I, and they all say the same Steve Davis Stephen Hendry the greatest players that's ever played this game people that don't have good results here come and speak to me and go I just can't play there and I'm like yeah I'm the same mate I feel the same, the same. I said but what choice we got? We got the biggest stage in the world, isn't it? It's just, it, it? I don't even. I don't know what it is about that tournament. Intensity. They're so close. Yeah. The the the, the history's there as well. Yeah. It's just. It's just. Just. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I, I still can't work out. Yeah. About yeah, it, I, yeah. Because it was like he's scratching his neck and he's. I, I need time off after that. I take. I take two <laughs> weeks off. I just don't move out the house because it's just like. Ugh. It I get all... it. Um. The 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 extreme from a capacity point of view is this new 9,000 seater Hong Kong arena yeah. so how does that compare that was a doddle that was the easiest bit of work I've ever had in my life and that suits me because they were quite a way away like in a basketball arena but it was still acoustic wise it was great and I why, thought, why was it good acoustic wise um, because I don't, I don't, the bodies it, it, had it, it out it, it didn't feel like a, a basketball arena it felt like they'd kind of they decorated it well so yeah. they put nice curtains nice carpets nice lighting you know, the soundproofing. Yeah, and it kind of like it worked really well. So for me, that was like, that was easy. So it's not even about the number of people. The crucible only holds like nine hundred and fifty people. Yeah, it's just that they're on top so of you. Ten x. They're breathing on you. You know what I mean? They're like, you know, you're like, <laughs> and they know they know their sport and they yeah. love their sport. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, let's talk about sound a bit more. So you said that when Stephen Steve Davis yeah. hits the cue ball. Yeah. It sounds like nobody else hitting the cue yeah. ball, and you mm. thought, when I hit the cue ball, it mm. doesn't sound like that. I need to get it to sound more yeah. like that. Mm. What's all that about, Ronnie? Well, it's just a, it's just sort of like yeah, it's a bit like um, you know, you like you can be sitting in your chair, and that's yeah. what I'm saying about Luca Purcell. When he hits the ball, you can just you know he's you know it's him before he's hit it. Could you go on you bet and identify who's playing? Sneaker from the sound yeah, of the Yeah, you keyboard. can just tell. We played by sand. So wow. when I was with Ray Reardon, he said, don't even look at the table. He said, just listen. Right. He said, you know if they've hit it well or not. And certain players hit the ball so well. And, so you know, truly. 
truly crisply. It has a different noise. And I'm sure it's like it in most sports. Tiger Woods hitting the golf ball. They always say it sounds differently. Um, but yes, Davis was, you know, when, when most players, it's tinny. You think, oh, is, 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 is his cue not screwed up properly? Yeah, yeah. When Davis hit the ball, it was like a boom. And you thought, oh. <laughs> You know what I mean? and, 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 and when you're sitting in your chair and you're hearing that, yeah. it does not. It's like you. getting hit by Tyson. It's, yeah, it's like a mental hit. You know, it's amazing. not a physical hit, it's a mental hit because then you think, I need to respond. And mine's like, tinny, tinny. You can't, you can't compete over a long period of time. Do you remember the first time you hit a ball as a cue ball as well as that? As yeah, I, I said it in a book, and I think it was when I was 12 when I just was, I, I, I just, I was in a tournament and I just. I just hit this bit of form. I don't know where it come from, right. but I literally knew I was going to clear up before I'd even gone to the table. And the balls were just sounding differently strong. And that's when I went, this is like, this is like I say, it's like a, a superpower. Yeah. I felt unplayable. You know, it didn't matter who was sitting in the chair. I yeah. thought it could be Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry. Yeah. Um, I, then I'm not going to miss. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's the difference between you having to take on the player and just take on the game. Um, because sometimes you do you do have to annihilate the opponent psychologically, but when you're at that level of form, that's mm. not a, a, an ingredient. No, no, I've, yeah, um, you, you know, listen, everyone brings a reputation. You know, John Higgins, when you play him, you know you're in for a heart. You're not going to get nothing free. Yeah, um, but you also know that if you get on a roll, you can push ahead of him. Yeah, other players like Luca Brussel, you can be pushing ahead of him but if he decides like I'm feeling good you can sit in your chair for seven eight frames so everyone brings a different and keeps you on your toes you know and you kind of have to be wary of that but at the end of the day all you can do is play your game as well as you can for yeah. as long as you can and then just fingers crossed and just go like hopefully <laughs> snooker gods wait for it to come to you shining on me and I, and I get over the line you know because that 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 we chase runs away man Mm. That's the thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, you talk about Tiger Woods mm. quite a lot in mm. the book. Um, what did you learn from him? What similarities have you witnessed between him and yourself? I don't. I, I think very, very. Obviously, winning is the only thing I can sort of go take from him and sort of go. Well, that's where I've tried to get. You know, um, he's just an, he's just on another level. But you People talk like about him. his lack of self-esteem. And recognizing that him not realizing yeah, how good he, I was, yeah, I, I, I watched something of him. I show on a TV, and I just didn't, I couldn't quite believe how he didn't feel how unbelievable he was, you know. And and sometimes I think he was sort of, I, I can't can't remember, but it was quite an interesting thing. But it was just sort of like it was for him. It was just all about the winning, and 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 I and I just thought when you get into that thing of just all about the winning, sometimes you lose the just going out there and just playing golf or just yeah. going playing snooker. It's, quite, it's called playing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think at some point you just got to go, I just want to play and I, I, I'm happy, you know, I love the game and, and, I, and I phoned Steve Davis up about six months ago. I said, Steve, like, you know, you're obviously you're ahead of me in the game but I'd just like to just cross-reference where I am. Am I, am, am I doing all right? You know, I said, because sometimes I've switched, I switched off from it's all about the wins to right. just, I just love the game, you yeah. know, but I, I said, is that wrong? I said, I feel guilty sometimes for just enjoying the game, you know, because I know it takes something away from from being a winner. But if I tried to be a winner, I think I just, I wouldn't want to play anymore because it's too stressful at my age. And he went, he said, you're doing the right thing. He said, if you can just enjoy it and have fun, he said, that's great. He said, because if I could, he said, I'd have kept playing. Yeah. He said, but I didn't. So I went, fair enough. He said, so as long as you're enjoying it. And I thought, okay, that's cool. You know, I'm not sure I'd enjoy getting beat first round, 4 nil, 4 nil, 4 nil, 4 nil, and putting all the practice in. So if that day ever come, then I might have to reconsider whether it, whether it's worth playing. But at the moment, it's not like that, you know. 
I have a thousand questions. Because when I was reading your book, I started to write questions. And yeah. I realised by the end of the chapter, I had more questions than the pages in that chapter. And it, mm. the more you answer, the more, this is, I love talking to you about this. I'm fascinated mm. by this. Mm. It's one of the, one of the sort of uh, most sort of uh, profound books I've ever read when it comes to a potential source, source of questions. Mm. Um, where should we go next? We go anywhere next. Um, let's talk about... You and Damien Hurst, mm. your relationship there, your friendship there, which is sincere, it's genuine. Mm. Mm. How did that happen? Uh, you know, how, how frequently do you see each other and what do you get up to together? Yeah, so obviously Damien came to see me play in uh, 2008. Um, we didn't actually meet until we were just about to leave. So fate obviously stepped in and we bumped each other on the stairs. And he was like, he said, right, I've got to go. I said, oh, great, great, you come and watch. So like, here's my number. Like, maybe we'll stay in contact. And then we, we met up, and within about 20, 30 seconds of meeting him, I went, I really like this fella. <laughs> you know, he just had this way about him, his presence. I went, mm, yeah, very, very down to earth and unaffected by what you think people like Damien would be, you know? Yeah. So the perception and the real him is... You know, he's just a normal fella from Leeds, really, that just likes having a kebab in my room and we sit there and we watch the snooker and he just makes me laugh. And we just have <laughs> so, He's one of the funniest people I think I've ever met in my life. And, and he's been through the mill. Yeah, he's, he's different characters to me, though, because he's sort of like, he can't understand how I just want to play well and not really worry about it. He's, but sure, it's just about winning. And But he's got to know me and there he kind of like goes, look, your well-being is more important than anything in, the, in yeah. the world. So I love that he's got my well-being at first. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, we just, you know, we spend a lot of time together. So we'll spend like maybe 17 days at Sheffield. We're in each other's space pretty much all the time. Um, comes to tournaments and that's what it's like at tournaments and then you know now I kind of go to see him where he does his work and he'll get me you doing you get involved don't you yeah I love it I absolutely love it I absolutely love it so you know mixing so, so if we buy a, if in the future we buy a, a an original Hearst might be might be a bit of a O'Sullivan in there as well. Not really. Have you ever that. put a dot on a painting? Yeah, I mean he'll have a corner out there and he'll go right, like you know. That's, that's go, the go Hearst and, I want. Go and go and go and do that little section over there, and like me and we'll just do a few bits and pieces. Because but... his dot paintings look like snooker balls. Have you ever talked about that connection? Um, I. I, 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 I I always ask him, I like, like, you know, about certain stuff about, you know, because there's certain stuff I love, and I go, well, what's your favourite bit of work? This and that, and this is all I like this, and I like that, and but he's 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 mine's on a. On a how does he do the dots? Are they silhouetted or? I don't know about how he does the dots. I know he does the blobs, right. the blossoms, because obviously I've been there and watched it all done, right. and it's just layers upon layers, and and then all of a sudden you look at it, and then he'll just be looking, at it and he'll just put two little yellows there, and you're like, and it's just how it's just trapped. Yeah, and it's just like the one or two dots. Have you there must be from him? loads. Yeah. So when we went to Sheffield, I said, right. I said my therapy is art therapy. I said, you know. So I, I said, because I'll take my own art away to tournaments. And right. He said, right, leave it to me. I'm sorting it. So we had this sort of like these canvases brought up, little mini ones, little pens, and we were just sitting there dotting. And so I had like two weeks of art coaching and I'll be there and he'll go oh that looks great it needs a bit of this it needs a bit of that and I'm like well go on then show me what it's like and then all of a sudden it'll be like a few little oranges and you're like wow yeah it brings it alive so um, yeah no I love it you know I, I, like, I like things that I get lost in so does for he me, play? yeah he plays he plays is he any good? yeah he's decent yeah he's decent he can pot a ball um, he can make 30s um, just, 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 he just he's, he's fascinated by the angles and how you kind of like you know but he gets it as well you know so like the reason why i know he gets it is because when i've hit a ball good 
he'll look at me and his little face goes like that and I know that he knows yeah 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 you know because that's not most people don't know and I'm mm. like you know like so you can't explain it to him because but when he's that aware of when what's he's, going yeah, on around him he's going to hear it and yeah see but it. like he doesn't play snooker so I'm like yeah you feel it he feels it and it's yeah, the but flow. you meet on a bridge you meet on a yeah, bridge yeah it's kind of like weird but it works it works <laughs> it does know? work god we're nearly out of time um, right so your mum the snooker room at your mum's yeah how important is that? is that what's the most important table in your life that, that was the one that i had obviously um i had to sell it because they changed the make of the table so i had to get a new one but that's going there because my mum's selling the house right. she's downsizing but i've built my own room so it's somewhere i can go and practice and what about this cue your latest magic wand which you just love so much don't you yeah it's really difficult to get a good one and when you get it you're like you want to keep it and you're very hesitant to have work done on it and but they have a life a shelf life well, they do with me because I change the tip so many times that the cue, the tip gets smaller and smaller. Then you've got to like knock a bit of wood off of it. Then it loses its feel and its balance. And then you think, oh, am I better off just getting a new one or should I stick with this one and try and like make it right again? So you kind of like, I have five different cues so I can give my main one a bit of a rest so as I don't wear it out because I want it to like basically get to the end of my career if I can, you know? Well, when is that going to be? don't want to put a number on it. Um, what do you sense? Um, ballpark, not a number, just ballpark. Probably 55. 55. Why 55? Because I think, like, I look at Steve Davis and Steven, and they could still play then. I'm a little bit, and I've managed to, like, keep reinventing myself. It's a lot so of bending I, over, isn't it? Like, a mecha mechanics really struggle as they yeah, get older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you look at my, like, body like I'm, I'm all twisted all over the place yeah, you have a lot just, of tyro don't you yeah i try and sort of like balance it out with other stuff but you know as long as i can keep playing enjoying it the, the, the problem for me is if i stop and i've got nothing to do yeah so it's not about the money or this or that it's more about have i got an interest to get me out of bed in the morning because if i haven't then i'm, I'm it's not well, good running's for me. meeting you halfway there isn't it gets me there but i also the, i only get out early to run because i know i've got to go to work at 10 11 o'clock whereas if i didn't have the work I'd probably sleep in and I don't want to sleep in Well, either. there's ultras you could go on and do and things like that. And oh, yeah, but then you're like, your whole life is just spent just being alone. And I've, got, and I've got family and friends yeah. and I don't want to be And you've made person. up for all that now as well. I mean, the book is about, as much about your your personal life as it is about your professional life. Mm. It's just, I mean, we are out of time, Ronnie. I hope mm. you can tell that I could talk to you forever Thank about you. This. No, it's been so great. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's a Thank really you. wonderful book. It's just the best book. Thank you. Um, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Ronnie O'Sullivan, Unbreakable. Great to meet you, Ronnie.